everybody. This is Randy Shandeville, and you're listening to This Golden State. Today, we're going to talk to the man who, other than Donald Trump, has spent more of his own money on this year's election than any other American. Now, I'm talking individual money, money from one person, not from a network of donors. I'm Tom Steyer. Please register and vote. According to the Washington Post, USA Today, and the Center for Responsive Politics, San Francisco billionaire Tom Steyer, a Democrat, has given more money than the Koch brothers, more than George Soros, more than Sheldon Adelson, in fact, twice as much as all of those guys combined. Now, as you'll hear in a minute, Steyer says those reports are wrong. That's not America. That's not California. If you've watched TV at all this year, you've no doubt seen the ads from Steyer's political action committee, Next Gen Climate. Lots of ads, lots of money, and Steyer isn't even running for anything. At least not now. I'm Tom Steyer. We need leaders who get it so that we can move away from coal and oil. Steyer is a former hedge fund manager, the founder of Farallon Capital Management. That's how he made his fortune. So far this year, he's spent $39 million. He spent almost twice that in the 2014 election cycle. And full disclosure here, I got some of his money. My communications company, Shandabil Communications, has produced seven ads paid for by Steyer or his committee, Next Gen Climate. We met with him in NextGen San Francisco offices. Tom Steyer, thanks for joining us today. Randy, thank you very much for having me. Okay, so let me get right to it. <laughs> <laughs> so much for the politeness. <laughs> Let's well, get to Well, the it. first couple questions are polite. They'll get tougher as we go along. <laughs> uh, according to the Washington Post and the Center for Responsive Politics, right now you're uh, king of the hill, top of the charts. You've given more money on an individual basis than anybody else to political causes this election year. In terms of individual spending, you make the Koch brothers look like small fry. I, I'm, I'm surprised that you're that naive. I think the fact of the matter is the way that we give money is completely transparent. And the way that people on the other side give money is as untransparent as possible. And therefore, if you make comparisons between what we disclose and what they disclose, you're gonna to come to a very erroneous conclusion. So you saying the Washington Post and their analysis is naive? Yeah, absolutely. The fact of the matter is there are ways to give money in our society which you don't have to disclose at all. So you don't actually know what the Kochs gave in 2014 for sure, but we've heard it's multiples of what they disclosed. How are they doing it that major publications such as the Washington Post and the Center for Responsive Politics don't see it? What are they doing? I think that there are ways to give dark money that you can, and I know people who have told me how to do it, where you don't have to disclose that money, you don't have to give up the source, and it's very hard to trace. So yes, I do think that the Washington Post is naive, and yes, I do think the Kochs give multiples of what they disclose. Plenty of people agree with Steyer, believing that the Koch brothers are somehow hiding the true amount of money they've given, funneling it through nonprofits and other organizations. But all we know for sure is what's reported publicly And Tom Steyer is on top of that list. I will stand up to all the attacks from the Super PACs and the Koch brothers every chance I get. Most Democrats demonize the Koch brothers. Many Republicans are now demonizing you. Aside from disclosure, what are the differences? Why are are Republicans wrong to demonize you on the money issue? Well, I think that the Koch brothers wouldn't say this, but everything that they do does 
benefit their bottom line. They are speaking on behalf of issues where they personally benefit, and that can't be said of us. What we're trying to do is we're trying to advocate on behalf of the values we hold most deeply. That's a huge difference. And I believe you do hold those values you're fighting for. But on the other hand, Republicans point out that some of your current investments are in clean energy sector, and wouldn't those investments benefit if your agenda comes through? You know, actually, because we anticipated that someone might say something like that, we took every single one of those investments and put them in a foundation. So if they turn out to be fantastic investments, it does not put one dollar in my pocket. All it does is make it possible for us to give money away to the community. So you are invested, but it goes to charity or foundation? First of all, it's a very small relative amount of money, but we took every piece of it and made sure it could never help me personally. So actually, it is very different. And if they, if they want to take their oil and gas interests and put them into a foundation, Randy, then we can talk about, you know, equivalence. Do you think they're going to do that? <laughs> no, I do don't. Do you think they're going to do a, a half-hour interview with you? I mean, you're talking to me about differences. I think so much. I'm so certain that they wouldn't that I haven't asked. Because <laughs> <laughs> it'd be a great interview if we could get them to do it. So a lot has been done in California to try to slow down climate change. What more needs to be done and what's stopping it from being done? As a society in California, we've put a whole bunch of laws on the books. Now it's really important that we execute them and that we execute them successfully across society. So we use this as a chance to specifically create good paying jobs in poor communities make sure that we have clean air throughout the state. The fact of the matter is, for us to succeed in this, we need to succeed by doing those things. But if we don't accomplish it in a way that directly impacts people throughout our society very broadly, then it really isn't going to be done properly and it won't succeed. Well, well that intersection of clean energy and the economy is basically what I want to ask you next. It seems that, for the most part, even Republican voters agree that something has to be done about climate change, but Republican leaders always argue that climate change, fighting climate change, would slow down the economy, so they most frequently vote against legislation to stop it. Well, I, I think there are two points there. One is about the Republican voters who have made a gigantic move along with other voters throughout American society over the last three or four years to acknowledge, yes, we need to move very fast to a clean energy economy. Republican voters are there, although they don't prioritize it as their number one, two, or three issue, which is a very significant point. If you look at Republican elected officials or people who are running for office as Republicans, they've gone through, I would say, a series of increasingly dubious arguments about why they can't, in fact, support that. They started with climate denial. It became ridiculous. They moved to climate agnosticism. We really don't know. That became ridiculous. They've moved to it's too expensive. They are just trying to think of a reason not to vote for it. Because as long as the, the people whose votes they're soliciting don't have it as a one, two, or three issue, they don't think they're going to lose a lot of votes. But they know that that is a specific organized economic interest that is going to back them, which is the fossil fuel industry writ large that is going to back them, and they don't really feel like opposing them because that's one of their big supporters. So we started by talking about money, and you're saying it's money that's keeping those Republicans from voting what, they're, well, I can what, say what this. their people want them to do. That argument about economic impact is one that we've, spent, we've anticipated. So we've spent a ton of time trying to map forward what will happen if, in fact, we either 
do business as usual in terms of energy generation and use, or we move to a clean energy economy. And I can tell you that moving to a clean energy economy actually creates net jobs, reduces costs to families, and increases take-home pay. So I know and increases growth. I can also tell you that if we don't, in fact, deal with climate change, if we do nothing until 2100, Citibank thinks it will cost us 36% of our total economy. A complete disaster. I mean, a huge, hugely worse than the Great Depression. So the fact of the matter is, this isn't a question of whether we need to do it and whether it's too expensive to, in fact, move to clean energy. Clean energy will make us richer, more prosperous, and t increase take-home pay. Not dealing with climate will destroy us. Recently, California lawmakers passed SB 32, which requires a 40% reduction of greenhouse gas emissions from 1990 levels by 2030, correct? Yes. And that basically strengthens and toughens the existing climate law, AB 32, which was signed by Republican Governor Arnold Schwarzenegger. Schwarzenegger. Yet the vast majority of Republicans voted against it, and one Republican even went so far as to criticize other lawmakers, saying, quote, you're dancing to the flute of a rich hedge fund billionaire that's running for governor. Your reaction? I think that normally when you run out of actual arguments to make, when you don't have any kind of coherent logic, then normally the best thing you can do is attack a human being. So I normally think when people move to so-called ad hominem attacks, that that is a sure sign that they've run out of actual logical arguments and are trying to justify what they're doing. So I look at that and say, I'd really love to hear your arguments, sir. <laughs> Considering that uh, if you're a Democrat, and I'm a Democrat, and most Californians are, if you care about the environment and climate change, and most Californians, including myself, care about those things, you might think that people would be appreciative of all your spending on behalf of fighting climate change. Instead, most any time you're mentioned in the media, it mainly focuses on your money and it includes speculation about you angling to run for governor. I think that that is something I don't pay any attention to. The fact of the matter is what I focus on is to work on the things that I care the most about. So if, if that annoys someone, I really can't spend my time worrying about that. I've, what I've got to do is spend my time trying to making sure that actually what we're doing pushes the ball forward on the things I care the most about, which are basically working for clean energy and working against income inequality. I guess what I'm getting to is it seems that your money is simultaneously a benefit and a curse. You can spend to hopefully enact positive change, but the more you spend, the more you come under scrutiny and the more suspicious people become about your ultimate motive, simply because people are suspicious of big money. So it's kind of a double-edged sword, is it not? I think this is one of those things, though, honestly, from my standpoint, the only thing that I can do is be true to what I'm trying to accomplish and focus on that completely. And I have to keep my eye on that ball, and I have to let how other people see it happen as it will, because I can't control that. What I can control is whether, in fact, I'm working straightforwardly and consistently on the values, which I would think of as justice across the board in the state of California and the United States. Let me take that a step further. My company has, uh, I counted last night, seven ads for you and for NextGen. And I only do ads for causes I agree with. So I agree with your politics, and I've personally benefited from your spending. But even I sometimes wonder 
about your personal ambitions because of the spending? Look, all I can say is we have been pushing on this. I have been working on this full time for since I quit my job about over three and a half years ago. And I've been working on it for more than 10 years. So I'm consistent in what I'm doing. I'm going to be consistent in what I'm doing. I am going to work on those issues. And people are just going to have to watch me, and I'm going to keep my head down and make sure that I'm trying to be as straightforward as I can be. Almost all of your ads this year, and there are quite a few of them, ads critical of Donald Trump, ads earlier critical of Ted Cruz, ads encouraging people to register to vote, and, of course, ads about fighting climate change. At some point in those ads, you pause and you say, I'm Tom Steyer. I'm Tom Steyer. We've had a million kids get asked. I'm Tom Steyer. We need leaders who get it. I'm Tom Steyer. It's time to speak. I'm Tom Steyer. Please. So I watch those ads and I think two things. One, Tom Steyer is putting his money where his mouth is, and that's great. I think he's a true believer, and that's great. I also think Tom Steyer is trying to build his name ID so that if he runs for governor, he has that in the bank. Well, one of the things I said to you earlier about the difference between me and the Koch brothers is I said, we are going out of our way to be transparent. I would love it. If every time the Koch brothers or PG&E or Chevron or a tobacco company or a pharmaceutical company put out an ad saying, you know, we're against whatever, pharmaceutical disclosure, we're against clean air, that they had the CEO of that company up there explaining why. I would love that. I think what they tend to do is hire actors who sit there, you know, and smile on a sunny day in California and explain it. I think that what we're trying to do is be as transparent as possible. So if you don't like our message or you're worried about, here it is. We're right out in the open, as transparent as possible. I would beg the other side to plead. I want to see Charles Koch running ads with him saying, I'm against higher taxes on businesses. (laughs) I don't think you're going to see that anytime soon. (laughs) How about the head of Chevron running anti-clean air ads? You know, in California, other than Arnold Schwarzenegger, and because of his fame, he was certainly a special case, other than Schwarzenegger, no self-funded, wealthy candidate without previous political experience ever won higher office. There's Al Checky, Michael Huffington, Carly Fiorina, Meg Whitman, Steve Wesley, the list goes on. To the extent that somewhere in the back of your mind you are contemplating an eventual run for a higher office, do you look at that and think, oh my God, that's not a good track record? Actually, that's not what I'm thinking about these days. We are working really hard on very specific things this year. We're doing a huge voter registration drive in the state of California. We are doing door-to-door field work, all of which is what I spend my time on. The fact of whether or not what some people did in elections in the past in California, which doesn't sound like, from what you're saying, particularly great track record, that just doesn't affect anything of what we're doing. So... If I did decide to run for something, then I'd have to be sensible sensible about it and take everything into account. And you're right, that would be a relevant question. But for right now, the real relevant question is, can we, in fact, get a huge number of Californians, the most Californians in history, to register to vote on November 8th and to show up and to have a broader democracy and to make better decisions together and make sure that everybody's vote gets counted so that politicians will care about them? Give me a little slack here. (laughs) (laughs) Acknowledge that at least somewhere in the back of your mind, that's a possibility. I'm not asking questions that aren't tethered to at least some degree of reality. I will do. I am serious about trying to get the things done and work on the issues that I care about. Extremely serious. 
So I will sit there and try and figure out what is the what is necessary to be done and how can I help? How can I put I will take it really seriously. So so if somewhere down the road your analysis pointed out that uh, you would have to humble yourself and enter the arena and expose yourself to all that comes with it. Because so far I hadn't had enough criticism. (laughs) (laughs) Well, let me proceed on this line despite your hesitancy to talk about it. Gavin Newsom's obviously running. If you were to decide to run, you'd be running against him. He's pretty good on climate change, is he not? I actually don't know specifically what Gavin's talking, saying about climate change. But I would say this. What, one of the things, so for the last three and a half years plus, I've basically been acting on the following mission statement. Act politically to prevent climate disaster and promote prosperity for every American. That is what I'm focused on. And during that time, I've learned don't answer hypothetical questions about politics because when the time comes, you won't have taken into account all the different stuff. So look, when the time comes, I, I really haven't studied Gavin at all. And it would be crazy for me to be spending my time to do that right now. So from my standpoint, I really, really, really want, if you asked me, how is the um, voter registration in Fresno going, then I could bore the pants off you and would be very happy to do so. And that would be, you'd never want to talk to me again. But I don't, but I, I don't have the information and I, don't, and I don't spend any time thinking about hypotheticals in terms of what happens after November. You weren't always an environmentalist. Back when you were a hedge fund manager for Fairlawn Capital, you made a lot of money from investments in corporations that pollute oil and gas pipeline companies, coal mines, British Petroleum, etc. Is is that all true? Yes. What I would say is this. We invested in every industry, including fossil fuel industries. And it was about 10%. I went back and checked because people have asked me this question. It was about 10% of what we did. And when I discovered, I came to the conclusion that the evidence was in that climate was going to turn out to be this dramatic danger for our society. That's why I quit my job. I divested from oil and gas and related businesses. And I basically did what we're asking everybody to do. I think everyone in our society is part of the economy that's been driven by fossil fuels. We all are. We all live in a society that's got automobiles and electric utilities. The fact of the matter is, the question is not, what have we done? But as we realize this information, what are we going to do to change? We all need, I mean, Randy, you need to make this change. I need to make this change. Everybody has got to come to the conclusion, wow, we as a society need to make this change. Absolutely, I've been part of this society. So back during that time when your company invested in those organizations, were you conflicted or you weren't quite uh, aware about the issue? In the beginning, unaware. And so it was more of a sudden epiphany, and you thought, oh, my God, I've got to get out of this? I've asked myself, as I've looked back, I've asked myself, how did I come to the realization of, oh, my God, I've got to get out of this, which I did come to. And I don't think that there was any one moment where, I mean, it wasn't like I went to see Inconvenient Truth and said, oh, my God, I have to get out of this. I think it was a drumbeat of information that was available where I was reading the paper, and I followed it and then I listened to the radio and someone was talking on it and I was putting together information from a bunch of sources and I suddenly thought, okay, now I know I've got to be involved in this. And about 10 years ago, I started to give money for scientific research to say, you know, there's got to be a technological solution to this. 
let's just do a technological fix. That's, you know, we're in California. We know how to do technological fixes. I think it's fair to say that most Californians agree, at least generally, with your positions on the environment and clean energy. But polls also showed that an overwhelming majority of Americans don't like the influence of big money on politics. And your money... I don't like the influence of big yeah. money on politics. Yeah, so that's kind of a conundrum, isn't it? Absolutely. Look, from my standpoint, I don't like the impact of big money on politics either. I mean, we can't deny the fact that the Supreme Court came out where they did on Citizens United. This is the system we've got right now. So in this context, we either ha I'm trying to work within the system, even when I don't agree with it, and I don't, to try and get the outcomes that I think are so important for everybody. So... You're saying, is that a contradiction? Yes, the American system is not perfect and we're working within it. And therefore, we're, you know, I agree with the people who think there's too much influence of big money in politics. Absolutely agreed. Well, for those of our listeners who don't remember Citizens United, it's basically the decision that decided to announce that corporations have free speech too and that money is free speech, correct? Yes. Yeah. Okay. And I realize that you're an individual, not a corporation. Still, the Citizens United decision kind of gives you political cover. You don't like the influence of money in politics, but Republicans have so much you have to stay in the game to keep it balanced, correct? Yes, and, and I would say regardless of the opening questions you ask me, I see this as a David and Goliath situation. They've always had so much more money. They've always been so capable of building influence around the country through money that regardless of what I do or what Democrats do, we're going to get outspent by a lot. That's just a fact. I've heard of David and Goliath situations, and this may indeed be one, but you do have a billion and a half dollars. That's an interesting David. It must be a real Goliath. Well, what do the Koch brothers have, do you know? I don't know. You like tell me. Like $80 billion. $80 billion. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> point, point taken. <laughs> so, so let's say the American people get their wish, and somehow the influence of big money in politics is dramatically cut. That, as we stand now, would cut your influence too, would it not? If they said I couldn't spend money in politics, I wouldn't spend money in politics. So how would you get your word out? How would you get your message out about climate change Look, if under, you had to do it without well, spending money? Well, once again, I, I would say to you, I don't, you know, I don't know how the world's going to change and will adjust to it. And I haven't thought about that question, and I don't know a good answer to it. You're also involved, at least tangentially, in uh, presidential politics this year. Your super PAC, uh, Next Gen Climate, is also getting involved in the presidential election, helping out Hillary Clinton. Yet most people would consider Clinton a cautious environmentalist. Some would say an incremental environmentalist, not very aggressive, at least publicly, about reversing climate change for the longest time. She was silent on the Keystone Pipeline. So why are you aggressively supporting Hillary Clinton? I personally endorsed Secretary Clinton after the California primary because I felt like the voters had spoken. We knew who the two major party candidates were going to be. And there was such a gigantic difference between the two of them that I felt like, wow, the fact of the matter is, there, this is just a historic gap in terms of where people stand. And it's really important to say that actually she is way ahead of where Mr. Trump is. So actually, I know that there's been concern sort of generally about how much of an environmentalist, but if you look at the facts of where her campaign has stood and what she's actually talking about, you know, I think that she is somebody who's actually pretty darn progressive on energy and climate. You pay your employees well. You offer solid uh, benefits, at least so I understand. Do you ever worry that your employees who take your money 
are afraid to speak up and say, no, Tom, no, Tom, that's a bad idea. Unfortunately, I don't think that's been a problem. That's the first thing they say as far as I can tell. <laughs> you, you, you get a lot, you get a lot mm. of, no, Tom, that's a bad idea. I think we have what I would describe as a healthy discussion. How's that? I, look, I think anytime you're working at an organization, you, you need to be able to have honest conversations with the people you work with. And if you don't, then you're going to end up making terrible decisions. I mean, I think that the best organizations have a lot of honesty and a lot of free-throwing thought. And if that doesn't happen, then that is by definition a huge organizational failure and you will make bad decisions. And I don't think there's any question about that. I ask that because this kind of gets back into the realm of the hypothetical, but bear with me for just one second. Because some of the previous self-funded candidates for governor, for senator, you hear afterwards that some of their consultants were afraid to say no, afraid to speak up because they were getting paid so royally. Look, I, I, and that is my actual answer. If the organizations that I have seen work well are based on honesty, period, if you can't have honest conversations, then you've set up a, an organization that will fail. And you're pointing out that you, you're, you observe some organizations which had a lot of dishonesty at their very core, and lo and behold, they failed. I mean, do not color me surprised on that. Of course they will. Tom Steyer, thank you for joining us today. Thank you for having me, Randy. Just one more thing about political money. Just a few days ago, billionaire Tom Steyer endorsed Proposition 59, a California ballot initiative designed to get big money out of politics. You can find this Golden State on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, and now in San Francisco Magazine. Links are on their website, sanfranmag.com. Thanks for listening.